0: This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we're pleased to have Joseph Chung, CEO of Toggle Industries, a managed cybersecurity provider which offers appropriate and proactive cybersecurity solutions for businesses regardless of size and believes you could be risking more than just losing client data. Joseph understands that cybersecurity should be affordable and achievable for businesses of all sizes. By leveraging enterprise-level cybersecurity, Toggle is able to deliver cutting-edge solutions to businesses while being conscientious of their respective budgets. Joseph, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Bob, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you today. Super. Thanks for taking the time. Um, we've, we chatted a little bit about, uh, about what you do before we started the show. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your business, and in a thumbnail sketch, what do you do and who do you serve? Well, Bob, I think in order to properly define that question, uh,
1: I must first give a quick synopsis about what cybersecurity is. A lot of times, our clients, even prospects, whenever we utter the word cybersecurity, they instantly think of information technology, IT. They always think that our field is synonymous with that of IT. So we first have to leverage the fact that not every single one of our clients understand what that is. So we have to educate them first and foremost. Cybersecurity, in a nutshell, is whether or not your data, your critical information data, as well as your client's data is being secured. Every single business, regardless of who they serve and what they do, will always have some sense of sensitive information or personal identifiable information, PIIs. So as an organization, we specialize in local small and mid-sized businesses in the fact that there are very, very, very few organizations nationwide who actually work with smaller businesses in their cybersecurity. It is very rare that you have a cybersecurity firm who wants to focus on small business, especially here in Colorado Springs, Bob. We see a lot of organizations who other cybersecurity organizations that only focus on enterprise-grade or government-grade cybersecurity. They're going after the big bucks, the multi-million dollar contracts of the Air Force, the Army, and sometimes other other government agencies are always looking for new forms of cybersecurity. And this is why there's about 111 cybersecurity firms in Colorado. As a firm here, we are, I believe, the only cybersecurity firm in Colorado that actually specializes in local businesses. We work with some entities that include the Small Business Development Center as well as the National Cybersecurity Center. And we were sitting down with Ed the other day, and they were mentioning that there are the unfortunate 50,000, the organizations that A, do not care about cybersecurity, or B, have no idea what cybersecurity is. So we focus a lot of our mission set on working with smaller businesses that can't necessarily afford the $50,000 to $150,000 penetration tests. And we are there to educate them as well as their uh, clients and employees on what are the core features and core functionality, the core importance of their businesses so that they can continue to do what they're good at, what they're passionate about. And then we
0: can focus on protecting their information. That's a lot. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here with the description, and I'm a business owner, and so I've got my client data and my contact data, and I've got my inventory, and let's say I've got payroll and some other items. You know, and I'm using a standard platform, whatever that is nowadays, sure. mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, you know what, I, you know, I, I've got uh, Norton, or I've got ESET, or I've got some other, mm-hmm. you know, software that protects my, firm. My, mm-hmm. my, you know, I changed my password when I forget my other one. Sure. <laughs> and and I'm going, you know, well I turn my computer off and you know in the evenings sometimes and I think I'm pretty secure. Mm-hmm. So if you would try to enter the conversation of that person's mind mm-hmm. and point out if you can, you know, where there's strengths in that thought process and where the weaknesses lie in that thought process. Well, Bob, you've
1: definitely pointed out some pieces of software that we use. For example, you've mentioned ESET. A lot of people think that by having a good piece of antivirus software is enough. Unfortunately, with what we've seen, a lot of it comes into the question of being complacent or not and just being up to speed with new software and hardware configurations. So as a business owner, we see a lot of our clients uh, or, or some of our onboarding clients, all they have is Norton, AVG. It doesn't really matter. You, you can pick your poison out there. There are so many different flavors and variants of antivirus software. However, by just asking them, hey, so, how often do you change your password or what kind of a password do you have? Very often we'll see a sticky note with their dog's names, their daughter's birth dates, something that is of significance to them that is just pasted right on the screen or sometimes even it's under the keyboard. Cybersecurity has very simplistic steps that can be taken in order to accomplish some preliminary uh, ideals or however it can expand all the way out to what are some of the software configurations within your security appliances, your firewalls. And sometimes... A lot of our clients, they don't really think about that. Uh, we, we have, we've had clients tell us, well, Joe, we've been in business for 20, 30 years. We, we've never been hacked before. Why is this a concern for me now? And then I will always reference back to what happened to Target, what happened to Experian, Home Depot, any of the large, or e- even, even most recently, Yahoo. I'm sure we all heard about the recent incidences with Yahoo Mail, where a significant portion of their emails were compromised, and individuals lost hundreds, if not thousands, of their contacts. And we are now receiving emails from our friends saying, hey, check out this weight loss supplement. I'm sure we've never seen that before, right? <laughs> but those 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 are the questions that that we ask and
0: say, what are you doing to prevent your loss of information? You know, I think in in, in many cases what strikes me is you may not even know. Mm-hmm. And and you know, unfortunately I got hit with a crypto blocker. Oh yeah. You know, mm-hmm. probably two years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you've not had that experience, you're not really sensitive. Mm-hmm. But once you have it one time, mm-hmm. you're forever sensitive Absolutely. to it. So as the client uh, or, or, or our listeners are, are going through the thought process, so when you first get engaged by a, a potential client or a client to come in and help them, uh, if you would walk us through the steps of what you typically try to do to help that person out. Absolutely.
1: So Bob, the first step that, that we typically take is we perform what is known as a network vulnerability assessment for our clients. So allow me to actually take a step back and give you some more background Oh, sure. as to what that is. So in the industry, a penetration test is a series of external, internal, physical, as well as potentially so, uh, social engineering tests done within an organization. The cost for a penetration test typically costs anywhere between, as I mentioned before, fifty dollars to $150,000. Now, Bob, I, I don't know many organizations here in the Springs, especially the mom and pop shops, or even those who have 50 or maybe 100 individuals who really want to comp up the fifty dollars to $150,000 for a penetration test. When we go in, we perform a network vulnerability assessment. And the cost for an NVA through us is only $250. And what that does is it gives us a very granular and very black and white look into what is currently in the client's network. For example, we'll see how many computers they have, what operating systems are they running on, what kind of routers, modems, access points, well, what kind of switches is currently being deployed within the network. Bob, I can't tell you how many times I see home grade, quote unquote, home grade solutions which are operating within an enterprise environment. It is not uncommon for me to walk into a network stack and see, oh my gosh, there is, a, this, this, this piece of hardware was on sale at Best Buy a couple years ago, and it's still sitting here. These are home appliances that have no right being an enterprise environment, and they're being treated as if they would secure and protect their business's data. So after we perform this network vulnerability assessment, we have a very, very granular look, and I can tell to Mr. Customer, this is what I found in your network, you have X, Y, Z hardware, and you have ABC software. Based off of your current configuration, these are the vulnerabilities that we have found in your environment, and those vulnerabilities have caused X, Y, Z within my existing list of clients. Of course, I don't tell uh, the prospect, hey, this is what client and this is what happened to them, but I'd be willing to bet that some of the clients that we've heard about today, I probably had some sort of dealing with them. For example, we, we've, we've done business with, uh, w- with some of the cities here in Colorado. Now, in order to protect their privacy, I'm not going to state who they are. However, we have ex- we've been exposed to entities that have had cloud botnets take over their entire command and control infrastructure. For example, uh, we had a client of ours who was uh, a, a large research facility. So they have a lot of processing power to do their simulations and everything. A cloud botnet took over that environment. And okay, used all for the,
0: mm-hmm. what is a for the folks that don't sure. know, what's a cloud botnet? A cloud botnet is a piece of software that
1: will in, infect a number of computers and add their specific processing powers to a pool, a generation of of attacks, if you will. Essentially, you you have one computer here, me, you may have a computer outside, and I have computers in my offices, and there are computers all over Colorado Springs. A cloud botnet essentially would take over. A particular network and infect itself on every single computer and add the respective processing power of all those computers into a pool and uses all the combined processing power to attack another organization okay does it make sense that makes sense so we had that instance where that occurred and they attacked a city here in colorado now with that it, it really brings to mind okay well is a small business, is a bakery, a, a small attorney's shop, a, a small accounting firm. Are those individuals at risk? Absolutely. The reason we hear about the large organizations such as Home Depot or such as Target, any other organizations like that, is because those are the big boys. We News isn't news unless it's exciting. As small businesses... Not all those organizations have the ability to afford the hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not a few million dollars per year for a dedicated cybersecurity team. So after we go and we do the network vulnerability assessment, we outline exactly for them what the vulnerabilities are. We outline a roadmap for them, Bob. We tell them exactly, all right, these are your options. You can either retain someone like us to do all the fixes that we're recommending, or you can retain us and we can take care of your network as it is. I truly do not believe it is ethical for cybersecurity firms to come in, do a one-time penetration test, deliver one red cell report. A red cell report is um, literally a report that outlines the vulnerabilities and how to fix it, or the vulnerabilities and how your system is currently being affected, and they just leave. Every single day, we see anywhere between 50 to 100,000 new vulnerabilities pop up in in the industry. And so after we present this NVA to them, we have this roadmap, and then we can tell them, look, I'm invested in your organization's success. How can I or how can we as an entity protect, continually protect your businesses? A lot of times in IT, there is the reactive mindset. Something happens and then they call someone to fix it. Or cybersecurity breaches happen, the ransomware. For example, a few weeks ago, there was the WannaCry ransomware attack Mm -hmm. that happened across the world. The reaction to that was Microsoft pushed out a patch for... Windows 10, Windows 7, and surprisingly, even Windows XP. The NHS, the National Health Services in UK, what was it, tw- 20 or 30-some-odd of their facilities mm-hmm. ground to an absolute halt because of the devastation of the WannaCry ransomware. Uh, w- uh, ransomware is essentially a piece of software that... Locks your computer, locks your ability to access the net, and locks the access to your files unless you pay an undisclosed amount of money in the form of Bitcoin. The reason Bitcoin is so important in this is because it is a decentralized currency. If you were to make a payment on a Bitcoin wallet to some other wallet that could be based in the United States, China, Russia, it doesn't really matter it is theoretically untraceable. Now, there are definitely ways to try and track down that kind of information, but the time, the effort, and the resources spent is no longer worth the effort in that regard. So from that perspective, we want to try and have a very cognizant conversation with our clients and say, hey, look, how can we be proactive within your environment? How can we be proactive within your business? For the owners that have been around for 20, 30 years, it is truly disheartening to see their businesses shattered overnight. So, statistically, every single cybersecurity breach that occurs, you have let's say let's let's say it is a one-man accounting firm and he has or she has their laptop, their tablet, and then their phone. All three devices are internet capable and all three devices at any given point in time have some sort of business uh, business-related information, whether it is a client social security number, addresses, files, it doesn't really matter, Bob. With those three, if his business was hacked and he lost critical information and resulting in client uh, losing client data, those three devices, every single one of those devices could be valued at a loss of up to a quarter million dollars. It's not just because of the piece of hardware or the software on it is loss of reputation, lawsuit, loss of businesses, loss of client, it doesn't really matter. All those losses in financial as well as untangible values, each of them can be uh, quantified up to approximately a quarter million dollars. It is absolutely horrifying. Those three devices, he could essentially be staring at uh, $750,000 worth of loss for his business. Most businesses were, were shut down from that. So the rule of thumb is based off of your potential loss, spend 30 to 40% of that over two to five years and spend that amount of money on proactive cybersecurity and a strong information technology networking backbone. Because having the correct pieces in play within your environment will truly strengthen your environment and make you uh, not low-hanging fruit. uh, Everything that I'm saying is built off of that premise in the sense that there is absolutely no such thing as a 100% secure network. There's no such thing. You know, when, when when I was when I was breaking systems and, and doing penetration testing for some of my clients, I always tell them, look, Mr. Customer, by the time I break this and I patch it, there's probably already something that is already out there. And they ask, well, Joe, then why am I wasting money on you? Why am I wasting my time, most importantly? I say, Mr. Customer, the reason and just the, by virtue of you having some a penetration test like this, I'm securing infrastructure from what is already out there, but... When a hacker, whether they're a 14-year-old sitting in their mom's basement or some another state actor, they want to go after the entities that aren't looking within their cybersecurity, that are not being proactive. They want to go after the people that may have been complacent. And in this case, complacency can truly kill a business by having outdated software, outdated hardware. EOL, end-of-life solutions, you are
0: essentially opening up your business and your livelihood to destruction. You know, I'm I'm sitting here thinking as we're going down the road, and it may be triggering in some folks' minds, I need to talk to Joe now. How do they find you? What's your social media connections? So we have
1: active presences on Facebook. So in order to find us on Facebook, you just have to go to facebook.com slash toggleind. However, they can also go visit our website at www.toggleind.com. We actually even have a dedicated hotline for individuals who are experiencing cybersecurity breaches. They can reach us at cyber at toggleind.com, or they can call us, myself, or even one of my engineers at 719-301-6280.
0: You know, in in thinking about it, you've imparted a great deal of technical information and practical information and folks may be going, well, how in the world did you get involved in this? <laughs> so let's circle back just a little bit. And you and I were chatting a, a little bit about how you got involved in this area of expertise. So take <laughs> us back a little bit to some of sure. the earlier years and some of the fun that you had.
1: I almost accidentally got into the environment. I think I was bored. And by virtue of that, I started poking my nose around where I probably, where I probably didn't belong. And then eventually, uh, at the end of the day, I, I got into a little trouble. And I worked a little bit with the school that I started off at. And then I started working with a lot of the people in my environment. I worked with the churches in my area, trying to help them not make the same mistakes or have someone be advantageous or, excuse me, or adventurous within their own networks and accidentally create some havoc. So without, without giving too much away, <laughs> uh, I was definitely bored. And I started coding when I was around nine years old. But even before then, I was playing with uh, I, I was playing with the advent of dial-up. Now I'm sure a lot of your viewers and listeners, Bob, probably are very familiar with with the old tones. But to me, I I see that as a very strong introduction. It was truly a catalyst for me. Um, I grew up on challenges. Whenever my parents would say I couldn't do something, I would go right out and do it. I can't tell you how many times I shocked the absolute bejesus out of me with a power outlet or burned myself on a stove because I thought, hey, you know, this, this looks like fun. <laughs> so uh, it was a challenge. So my, my, my parents, they put passwords on the dial-up. They put passwords. And finally, when we, when we finally merged into wireless internet, put passwords on everything, and I made it a personal, uh, a personal mission of mine to break every single one of those and gain as much access as humanly possible. So that's how I first started getting into it. But more importantly, the reason that I wanted to go into business and become an entrepreneur is because if you look into the environment, especially here in Colorado Springs, Bob, there are about 111, if not 12, cybersecurity firms in Colorado, in Colorado now. And as I mentioned, all of those individuals, are the majority of which are focused on cyber HR, uh, cyber compliances for government enterprise and big businesses, individuals who can afford to cough up hundreds of thousands of dollars for their services. But then coming from, coming from where I grew up, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, who's looking after the small guys? You know, I, I consider myself a serial entrepreneur. And I'll say that because uh, I first started off in software development, app, application development and web development. And then I went, I had a, I had a short uh, foray into government contracting for about two years, and then I looked at it, and I took a huge step back, and I said, what is the industry that, A, I can have the most fun in, and, two, have the biggest impact within the community and our ecosystem? And I found that it was cybersecurity. But, again, diving more so into that, it is cybersecurity for the little guys. Because if, if, you, if you ask yourself right now, Bob, who's protecting the little guys? Who's looking after the one- to five-man shop doing financial, uh, financial services or financial advising? Who, who's out there? They'll say, oh, we have an IT guy for that. That's fantastic. I, I will never have anything to say about the, about the hardworking IT managed service providers. However, I'll always challenge the business owners and say, well, you have a fantastic IT field, which is essentially you have this glorious house. What kind of a foundation is it sitting on? Is it sitting on a sand foundation? A rock foundation? What is it built on top of? If someone really wanted to break into your house, they're probably not going to go through your front door. They're probably going to find some way to tunnel into your network and that's exactly how we do business. We want to be those proactive, disruptively innovative providers for cybersecurity, which is why we have a very strong research development field. But again, I'm, I'm going off on a
0: tangent. No, now, that's, so. you know and, and it's it's interesting for the folks that are listening and and you know and and I think so much of this is, you know, we don't even know what we don't know. You know, and again, you know, you hear about the evolution of the threat, and it changes all the time. And mm-hmm. You kind of go, why bother? I just hope they don't find me. Mm-hmm. And I found that hope is a pretty thin strategy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in, in thinking about what you're trying to accomplish, so when you go in, you do the threat assessment, mm-hmm. and you come back to it with your report, mm-hmm. right, and the business owner's looking at that and go, is there a way to characterize the next steps that you guys do after they get their assessment and they see where their strengths and weaknesses are. Absolutely. What they do. Absolutely. So
1: as an organization, Toggle has partnered up with a number of other firms. For example, uh, Technology Inc., uh, another local Carl Springs firm. Yeah, Rick Murphy, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Rick Murphy over at Technology. Uh, we've partnered up with them and they support all of our day-to-day and front-end information technology. They're the organization who's going to come in and make sure that your computers are talking to your server, your files are being backed up accordingly. And, trying to use the latest and greatest, the, the bleeding edge technologies, if you will. And we have also partnered up with a few other firms, including ThinkSmart Security. Uh, Eric Davis, he, he's a good friend of mine, and they do corporate-level security.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they go through and they do a lot of the access control, but at, at the end of the day, it has to be built off of a core a core cybersecurity and IT infrastructure. So we go in after the network vulnerability system, the, the, the threat analysis report, and then <clears throat> we lay it out, Mr. Customer, we believe, based off of your organization, based off of your industry, we're going to deploy XYZ. We're going to deploy this particular network, or it's, whether it's a Cisco Meraki platform or some sort of Ubiquiti Unify solution. We want to offer clients two levels or two tiers, if you will, for the large, large, large organizations we want to go through and recommend something along the lines of a Cisco Meraki solution. The reason being it has its own self-healing mesh. So as opposed to spending 10, 15, 20 man hours a week trying to identify solution, excuse me, problems as they crop up, we rely on the Cisco Meraki platform to be able to identify the solution and solve it as much as possible up until the human factor is required. Whereas on a smaller organization from anywhere between 1 to 25, will typically recommend a Ubiquiti Unified solution. The reason being is because they have a cloud controller. So what that allows us as a provider, as well as the client, it gives them truly manageability on a single pane of glass. On my device, on my cell phone, I can go through easily and see every single one of my clients who are on our Ubiquiti cloud controller. We can say, well, that's interesting. This access point here went down a few days ago, and it still hasn't come up. And I know that I sent out one of my engineers to fix it. I wonder what's the problem now. More than likely than not, if that's the case where we pushed a new solution or we tried to fix it and a few days later it's still offline, okay, it probably needs to be our made Whereas we wait, 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 wait until the customer calls us and just has a field day and say, hey, you guys came out weeks ago now and it's still not working. Why is that? We want to have the accountability for not only ourselves but for our clients. So we have this consultation with him, if you will, of not only talking about the current threat analysis that we found within their environment, the vulnerabilities, but we can recommend definitively based off of your environment. This is what we think works best from a financial as well as a resource perspective. And then if they choose to execute on that, then we have the ability to go through and redo it, redo their network with our own solution.
0: So, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm the business owner, and and I've got my threat assessment. You've mm-hmm. come through, and and we we deployed your recommendations. Right? Are you a one and done? Absolutely not.
1: So after we deploy a, rec- a solution, we typically have proactive support contracts. So what that does is it allows the proactive support contract. So through our collaboration with technology, we actually have packages that range anywhere between $325 for a really small shop. Basically, at the cost of a small car payment, all your cybersecurity is now taken care of. We continue to do those proactive network vulnerability assessments. Your antivirus is now in place. We put up secure DNS solutions, basically preventing malicious attachments in your emails from coming through. Or if you click on something incorrectly, it is, uh, pops up and says, hey, we apologize for the inconvenience but this website or this application has been blocked due to XYZ. That is taken care of for you. And depending on your level of service, your consolidated email hosting as well as your on-premise service are hosted from there. And we go through and we have these packages for one very important reason. We want to be proactive. I would absolutely hate for any one of the individuals we either talk to or who are one of our clients and say and to come back and say, Joe, this happened to us or ransomware has hit our systems or we've just lost all of our data. What do we do? What's the next step? That is not a conversation I want to have. If and truly they already have our proactive support contracts and something does happen, I can tell the customer, Mr. And Mrs. Customer, don't even worry about it. Go to this link that I've just sent you. Carry on your business as per usual. A lot of times we see the differences between flat and live backup. Flat backup is when you have your Word documents, your Excel spreadsheets, your images, your videos, whatever else, and they're all individual files being backed up to Carbonite, Google Drive, Dropbox, whatever the case is, that's flat backup. Now, there's nothing wrong with flat backup inherently. However, the one drawback from that is, let's say we're sitting in XYZ Corporation's office and they have 50 people, they have 50 staff members, and they have three servers. The three servers are doing flat backup to somewhere, you pick wherever and catastrophe hits the building burns down they have to buy now Now they have to not only find a place for all these individuals to work but they have to come up with three new servers and now they have to wait for the long and arduous process of putting all the things back onto the computer that process can take if they're really fast a week Mm -hmm. and if they're really slow could drag them for months on end what are the 50 people going to do in that time are you gonna pay them? Are you gonna put them on an indefinite leave of absence? Are you gonna lay them off? Those are questions that we ask that are our, our clients. And then the other side is the live backup or the warm ready, the warm standby. Let's say the exact same situation, XYZ Corporation, they have three servers and they're running day in, day out. And in the same time, they have OTSR with us, offsite total server replication. What that means is we are actually virtualizing all three of their servers, or one by one, but we're virtualizing all of their environments and off it to our facility. So, again, catastrophe hits. Building burns down. Okay, that's fine. All the staff members are working from home. They have VPN access. And then we go to the managers and the C-level officers of the company, and we say, hey, look, I really am sorry that your office burned down. However, you can continue to do your work, and here's why. We give them a link, they can access that link and log in and do business as if nothing had happened. Now, of course, there will be some latency
0: because they're working from their home VPN into our OTSR solution. And that, that could have to do with what technology they have at home and their bandwidth and it, their speed at home. It can, absolutely.
1: However, with today's technology, I mean, it is not uncommon for Comcast or Central Link to offer anywhere between 50 down, 10 up megabits per second, or even up to, at my house, I have 250 down. Those speeds are more than adequate enough for any individual to VPN, virtual private network, mm-hmm. into the business environment and conduct their work. Of course, again, it'll be a little slow,
0: but as far as the business is concerned, it's business as usual. You know, as, as we're sitting here going over, and I, I'm sure some of the folks, their eyes are starting to glaze over just a little, <laughs> just a little. And, you know, and I think about uh, your journey. And so you, you came out of high school. Mm-hmm. I, I presume you went to college somewhere. I did. And what did you major in in college? So a funny story actually. Uh, I actually finished my undergraduate degree in
1: business. So I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy for two years. And then I got out and then I went to and I finished my education at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. The reason I chose a business degree as opposed to a technical field such as computer science, computer engineering, computer security, is because I am I already have the understanding for computer science. Of course, I don't know everything that the degree probably would have given to me. However, I wanted the ability to take what I know from a technical perspective, have communications with other engineers who I now hire who've been through the computer science departments, but I want to be able to translate that and streamline that in a business perspective. Because There are two kinds of people in my industry, and this is is true for the majority of the case. Of course, there are other individuals who, who, who can meld the two, but you either have a very strong technical individual, but he or she is not capable of doing business. And then you have the individual who is very business savvy, but can't do the technology. I have enough years of experience, and I understand just enough in the technology, but I also now have this background in business where I can go through and have conversations with individuals such as yourselves, where I can even go out and talk with a client and say, Mr. Customer, this is who I am, this is my background, and this is what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm very fortunate, very blessed, to have the background that I do because the majority of my time is spent meeting with clients, creating a relationship with them, trying to understand what their business needs are and how some of our solutions can be plugged into theirs. Does it make sense, Bob?
0: Oh, yeah. you know, As I think about that, so let's say that someone out there listening is a young, aspiring entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. And they're going like, well, when did you start your business? And take us to that point in your mind where you were going, I think there's a need. I've made a conscious decision to Mm -hmm. pursue this business path. Uh Take us to that story. Well, where do I begin?
1: Um, I started in entrepreneurship, if you will, when I was 14 years old. I was, uh, I was I think, in the sixth grade, and I was in a club at my school. It was an engineering, it was a robotics club. Uh, it was Best Robotics, Boosting Engineering Science and Technology, Boost, uh, Best Robotics. And I was working with a number of high schoolers who were incredibly technical in nature, pro- probably top of their class, honestly. And we were working together. They were creating some new fantastic new servos, some robotics, and basically the coolest things, well, to me as a, as a sixth grader, it was absolutely fantastic. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is really interesting. How can we leverage this new invention or creation and monetize it? From that attribute, going from me being a 14-year-old to where I am today. So I started this organization and I worked very closely with a lot of my colleagues who are still at university. So, allow uh, me to segue into that. We work very closely with PPCC, CTU, and a few Pikes other. Pikes Peak Community College. Pikes Peak Community College, absolutely. Yeah. And Colorado Technical University? Yes, yes, yes. So, we actually have interns uh, who are at our offices right now as we speak, who all they do is break into our system. We'll spin up a virtual environment, and all they're supposed to do. Is to break into it and write a report as to how they did it and how they're proposing to prevent it from happening again. So, I I don't necessarily consider myself a mentor because I I, I probably don't spend (laughs) enough time being a mentor. However, it is not uncommon for other people who are my age or even some older, some of which have even done TED talks. They'll they'll say, Joe, they'll they'll come and say, Hey, Joe, I had this awesome idea. How can I monetize it? And then I'll ask them, Okay, well, what does it do? What are what is it? What problem is it solving? And then from there, we'll try and take advantage of the solutions and the offerings in place here. Being in Colorado Springs, there are so many government grants. There are so many entities here that are looking for the next big thing. And then from there, we try and identify how can this bring benefit? What is the value-added benefit to the environment here? And a lot of times they say, well, I don't know. Well, let's find out. So we... We do a lot of social testing in the sense that we'll go to the universities uh, that I mentioned before, and we will ask them, hey, we have this really interesting idea. Would you be interested in having interns work on this product or this project? And then from there, we just have to do a lot of side equity. A lot of times people think that, OK, well, it's easy to start a business. You go to Secretary of State on Colorado.gov or whatever it is, and then you pay your $50 and voila, you have an LLC to your name. That's fantastic. However, here, and especially in this industry, seven out of 10 businesses fail within the first two years of being in business. Because it's not necessarily for lack of ingenuity. It's sometimes for lack of approach or lack of an appropriate approach. Many people have this fantastic idea and they're stuck as to how to do it. So the, the one thing I tell a lot of the people that we work with is find a partner who complements your strengths. You do not ever want to have just two people with the exact same skill sets because that way you're gonna fight and you're not gonna be able to have the checks and balances tell you, hey, You're on the wrong path. So which is exactly why my partner, Morgan, Morgan and I met in university. And he's my partner because he has, when I first met him, he had little to no technical capability. And I had little to no business, uh, business acumen, if you will. And then he's the individual who would come into my office and say, Joe, stop it. You're
0: doing it wrong. (laughs) Little checks and balance.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: You know, for you guys, for serving the front range. How many locations do you have, or how many offices do you have to serve the front range? So currently, we are we we're headquartered in Culver Springs. We do
1: not have any other satellite offices. Okay. The reason being is because within the field of cybersecurity, we can actually do remote testing. We can mm-hmm. access the client offsite remotely. However, for those who are on our productive support contracts, we actually will walk in through the doors of those clients at least once a month, and okay. we'll say, "Hey, you know, how are things going for you?" So,
0: how many engineers or employees do you have now?
1: That's a great you- question. So right now, um, Toggle has around three engineers total, uh-huh. and we have contractors all over the nation. However, through the collaboration with technology, we have about 14 staff members, and they support both missions.
0: You know, and, and the reason, you know, because what I think about is, you know, you, you've gone to the Secretary of State, you've got your EIN number, uh-huh. and and Toggle becomes a, a living thing. Yes. And and then, so you look at that, and it's you and your partner, and you go, well, now we have to have some clients at mm-hmm. some point. Mm-hmm. And when you guys first started, mm-hmm. did you already have clients or did you go and get clients? It was definitely a mix of both. So I started the company
1: and, and it was about six months until Morgan joined me. Um, I was involved with another organization uh, prior to the inception of Toggle Industries. And I, I created Toggle in January of 2016. So we are still a relatively new organization. But that that's a story from another and I'll, I'll tell you later. As soon as I incorporated and I reached out to some of my relationships, they said, Joe, you've come to your senses. Here's a contract. <laughs> so it took me uh, a breaking away from the other organization for some of our clients to come to us. However, we've also had to go out and canvas. A lot of the businesses that come to us are purely organic in the sense that we know someone who knows someone else. Okay, We do not have an active advertising campaign. For example, we we don't advertise on the radio. We don't advertise on TV. However, in the year and a half that we've been around, we have been recognized through the Small Business Development Center. We work very closely with them. We've been recognized by some other entities, as well as the fact that we have created a piece of software that has garnered the attention of many large organizations. So what's the benefit of the software that you created? So the software that we created, without going into too much detail, is a proprietary encryption wrapper. So for multi-factor authentication and one-time pro- uh, one-time passwords, so we've created a solution that will allow any individual using it to be able to walk into an unsecured and unprotected, and most importantly, unsanitized wireless environment, and being able to access their sensitive files and information uh, w- without giving away their um, their own encryption protocol. For example, um, using I'll use Google as an example. If you log into your Google account on an, on a computer that you've never been on before, for those who have multi-factor authentication or two-step verification enabled, you receive a text message on your phone. And that text message is a string of, I think it's eight six or eight characters, six or eight numbers. You turn around and you put that number directly into the prompt and you mm-hmm. gain access. What most people don't think about it is, well, that message is sent completely unencrypted. Mm-hmm. If someone were to gain access to your computer through a keylogger and get all of your keystrokes and now have your Gmail username and password. And if someone has gone as far as to clone the SIM card on your device, on your mobile device, they now can receive, send, receive every single message and phone call that you've now received and sent.
0: You know, I, as I think about the evolution of as what I understand the threat to be, mm-hmm. with, with the advent and discussion we hear about machine learning and we sure. hear about artificial intelligence. Sure. And, you know, sometimes it's a fun thing to hear about, and sometimes it's a little bit creepy to hear about, mm-hmm. and we've all seen the movies. Of course. <laughs> so how do you see machine learning and artificial intelligence impacting the need for the individual business owner to have a robust um, a cybersecurity protocol in place?
1: Well, I think your question is, is multi-tiered, if you will. Um, whenever anyone says artificial intelligence to me, I always think of the difference between dumb and smart AI. So dumb AI is essentially a a piece of software or a living piece of software that can go through and do very, very very basic tasks, whether it's packing boxes or making food, and they can cognitively make decisions based off of the quantity and the resources available. Whereas smart AI is one that can create new ideas from never before conceived uh, policies and procedures. For example... Uh, the military using artificial intelligence and this this is speculative, all right? So let let's let's say the the military were to use some some form of artificial intelligence for their RPA system the remote pilot aircraft. It can take information from the videos and identify who these people are and make a decision of fire or not to fire. So the decision of artificial intelligence and the rights being allowed to cyber uh, excuse me, to artificial intelligence truly borders long ethics. Mm -hmm. do we really want to give artificial intelligence the ability to say from a cybersecurity (laughs) perspective, okay, well, this piece of software is malicious. We need to stop it. We need to kill the task. Or prompt the user. To what degree is artificial intelligence going to broach within the human interaction? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense, Bob? Oh yeah. Because we we really have to ask, okay, well, how much are we comfortable sacrificing? Do we want our computers to code for us? Do we want uh, our artificial intelligence to go out and plant crops for us, harvest crops? To what extent do we want to give up control and relinquish control? Because at some point in time, will we as humans no longer have to do those things? How much are we going to rely on that? So in an effort to best answer your question, and I I believe your question was, uh, what steps should business owners take for cybersecurity? with the advent of all this. I I think it really is a layered approach as well as a dynamic approach. Cybersecurity in the field of information technology is constantly changing. Uh, I mean, look at the late 90s. Look at the early 2000s. Our laptops went from super bricks of gigantic briefcases to having really, really, really thin, thin devices that are made of aluminum with no moving parts. I mean, the technology has advanced so much that if I were to say, well, looking at the technology today, and to go out and say, well, next year something has to change, that everything will have to change. But within 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 cybersecurity, I think that it is just educating the end user, educating the client to understand what is or isn't an attempt to take your information, or what is a truly legitimate email coming from your bank. Within all these forms of artificial intelligence, it really is difficult to try and answer that question because it is an ever-evolving field. And as far as I'm concerned, whenever you send me an email, I'm going to believe that that email is from you until I see evidence otherwise. And that evidence is truly what will make the, what will truly define how, uh, how business owners need to approach cybersecurity.
0: I, I know. I know that's that's well, no, confusing you know, in nature. So you know, the thing the thing that I think about is if I'm out there trying to take and, and gather data from uh, in, in an illegal manner mm-hmm. using uh, technology, I'm going to look for the lowest hanging fruit. Absolutely. You know, and if I find some place that has reasonable protocols in place, mm-hmm. I'm going to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I think fundamentally. I don't know that they're lazy, mm-hmm. but you know maybe there's a few enterprising guys out there that go that want to take on the challenge, sure. but they're better off going somewhere else. Absolutely, you know. And so you know, my, my message to the folks out there is, at a minimum, make yourself not low hanging fruit. At a minimum, you know, as as we we talk about. Your journey and your business and your understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, periodically, as business owners, we'll run into a period of time where we're having less fun than others.
1: <laughs>
0: Take us to that time, perhaps, where where there was an event or or a circumstance in your company where adversity reared its head and you had to deal with it. What did that look like, man? Adversity.
1: I, I think one of the biggest forms of adversity that we see within the organization is having engineers who don't understand how as uh, an understand our approach we have individuals who will come into the organization and all they want is learn how to break stuff that's awesome but how do we translate that into a benefit for the client so uh, recently we, we had a few turnovers in the organization mm-hmm. uh, individuals who were here and all they were doing was just trying to do basic Windows policies you know a group policy security policy and if something didn't work they would take a shortcut and fix it. For example, turning off firewalls. That is the first thing you should never do. I mean, th- that should never happen within an enterprise environment, turning off a firewall. But it works. Mm-hmm. So, they, they they were thinking, of, okay, well, this works now, I'll get back to it later. And unfortunately, they never do. So, what we had to do was, okay, well, we have to identify what is being done and why is this being done and how can we educate you, educate the engineer to understand that cybersecurity is not just IT. Because, we, we, we have interns who come in, they have very strong IT backgrounds and nothing else. So we tell them, okay, this is IT. You pick up the phone, you answer the question, and you try and solve their problems. But on top of that, you have to ask other unorthodox questions. So with an IT, we understand, okay, well, if a network drive isn't working, okay, we'll have to try and remap that. But then they also have to ask themselves, why did the network drive pop off? Why is it no longer showing? Why do I no longer have access to this or that? And then most people just think, okay, well, I just need to fix the problem, I just want to make it go. And Rick and I, whenever we talk, he says, you know, it it, it, is un, it is not uncommon for a client to say, look, Rick, I don't care what you do, just get this done. And unfortunately, we, we cannot absolutely cannot afford to do that in the world of cybersecurity. Because some of our clients, some of our bigger endeavors within our, some of our clients, we, we've come across instances where the client have said, okay, well, this is a really simple problem. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. So I'll take a look at it. And then I'll ask my question, okay, well, why did this break in the first place? And then... From that, just, just from that line of questioning, we've been able to find some of the most egregious breaches in in, in the 10 years that I've been in cybersecurity. I, I've seen some of the most obscene, obscene attacks that were masquerading as a very, very, very simple breakage in day-to-day operations. So I think to answer your question in terms of adversity, it really is educating not only the clients, but making sure that the the new folks that we have, the interns that we have, to turn their focus away from being just IT, but also to incorporate cyber. And I think this is what makes us so unique, Bob, because we are an entity that appreciates the understanding of information technology, but also
0: understands and respects the threat that cybersecurity poses to IT. You know, as as we're sitting here talking, and I'm I'm thinking about um, when I was first struck with the entrepreneurial bug. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think about the the environment. So, for for you and your family, where do you think the entrepreneurial bug came from? It
1: certainly came from my mother. So, my mother immigrated uh, to the United States with my father, and she 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 was uh, she was born and raised in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Her family was the owner of the second largest clothing manufacturer and distributor in Indonesia. Wow! So. I, I can't really say that she taught me any of the attributes of business. However, I, I am a strong believer that traits are hereditary by nature. <laughs> so I think one of the strong characteristics that I inherited from them was the business side. And, of course, my father was a technical engineer. He got a, he, His undergraduate degree was in electrical engineering, and he got his master's in, in math or something like that. So my father
0: is, by all definitions, a technical genius. You know, so you, know, you think about that and – you look at the early influences. What, what is the best piece of advice you ever got from your mom or dad?
1: Well, I think it was inadvertent advice. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents, uh, being true to the culture, wanted me to be a professional doctor, lawyer, or some sort of other profession in, in that regard. And I said, absolutely not. I was not interested. So the one piece of advice I would give to any individual that is still feeling out their their future is to do exactly what makes you happy as long as it supports your livelihood and supports your loved ones.
0: That's it. You know, Just have fun. I, you know, I think about that and, and you're a high energy person, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think the folks that are listening can, can pick up on that. So for you on what would you say is the single best trait that you have that's contributed to your success
1: I will inherently value everything I do as a failure until the people around me tell me otherwise now I I think this is a an interesting way to answer your question because that strength has allowed me to fail tremendously but never give up I've had businesses crash and burn and then the next month I'll start a new company so I think The best way to translate my answer is that I have a can-do and never-dying attitude. I honestly can sit here, Bob, and tell you that I have never been discouraged in business, regardless of what has been said or done against me. I I will be the first to say that um, there are obviously um, forces that are outside of my control. And... I think everyone has experienced that. The, the, you, there are always going to be something that you just can't control, and are just really wants really, You just really want to give up. However, the one characteristic that has pushed me forward is a drive for success. So, growing up in a um, in a stereotypically Chinese family, I was always taught that you are the success that you make of yourself, and not necessarily being regarded as a failure. However, with that mentality and with that mindset. I have been driven to the point that if I am not successful enough, I'm not able to provide for myself as well as have time to enjoy, then I'm not a success. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I, I was thinking about, you know, as as you're talking about the contributors to success, mm-hmm. you know, and, and growing up, uh, I, what I found is I was an avid reader mm-hmm. and I had a few – books that were really influential for me and my thought process. Mm -hmm. Were there books that you read that were influential for you? Yes. Uh,
1: I grew up reading uh, Treasure Island. So Treasure Island, uh, as, as a lot of us are aware, is guy gets on boat, and he's a destitute little individual. And he goes there and everyone turns against the the, the captain and tries to go after the treasure. And this individual, single-handedly, well, not single but with the help of some of his co-patriots, were able to turn the entire uh, um, adventure around and actually leave on good terms with, with some of the other uh, pirates. So that's how I see it. I mean, my foremost driving mission in life is to help people. Because... I started off young within the field of business, and I didn't have much help. Uh, I I, I failed a lot, and I learned a lot from my experiences. I want other individuals to go out and faced with incredible odds, incredible adversity, and go out and just never give up and still get what they were going for. So that's why I'm here in business. I mean, I could be out in Denver making probably two, three times more than what I'm making now, or even go to California and start a business there. But I'm here in Colorado Springs because – When I wake up, I see Pikes Peak. In my office, I have a lake behind me. I I can turn around. I can just see the lake. I can see people running, biking. That's awesome. That is absolutely priceless. I want to do as much as I possibly can to help other like-minded individuals or just entrepreneurs in general to get to where they want. Because I think that at some point in time, everyone should try to get out of their comfort zone and work really hard. Not necessarily so that their boss can have the mansion on the hill, but so they can work hard. And like you said earlier, before uh, when it first came in, to get to the point where they no longer
0: have to work and work as an option. So. You know, I, I think as we, we draw to a close here, we've been chatting for a while. You know, for the folks that are listening out there, I think I would be looking for two pieces of advice from you. Mm-hmm. One, for the business owner that has some some concerns, what should they do? Mm-hmm. And two, for those entrepreneurial-minded individuals out there, a parting piece of guidance that maybe will – help them along the way. What would you have to say? Well, the first question is to what the piece of advice
1: was for entrepreneurs who are currently out there. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. I would absolutely say, regardless of where you are and regardless of the fact, if you have an IT staff, give us a call. Give us a call. We are here just to have this conversation with you and the number of vulnerability assessment, we can go in and we can execute it and just take a look to see where your environment is. We are not here to threaten the jobs of your IT staff. We are not here to embarrass your IT staff. We are here to work alongside with them and complement their service offerings to you so that they can do their job better. And to the second aspect of your question, uh, the advice to the entrepreneurs, I would absolutely say drive forward. There is so much in this world to be discovered. There is so much in this world that is just asking for new innovations, new technologies, that if you have a need for something, if you see something that you want is sitting in there on Snapchat or whatever else you're doing think, oh, well, it'd be really cool if XYZ was in place. Go after that. Pursue it. Figure out what you or what some of your associates and colleagues and friends can do together to provide that offering to the masses. Because if the majority of us sat around and said, well, I really wish it would be so nice to have X, and that's as far as we go, then innovation will grind to a halt. So... To all the entrepreneurs out there, I would absolutely say pursue your dreams. Do whatever makes you happy, as long as, of course, it's ethical, it's legal, (laughs) and it is enough to support yourself, your family, and your livelihood. Joseph, it's been awesome. Thank you so much, Thanks. I appreciate appreciate
0: it. it.